Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for those who are here. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and see what you would show us from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, verse chapter 11, Paul had been talking about why he, why he has credentials and trying to convince the Corinthians that he, if he wanted to boast, he has good credentials. And in this chapter, he's going to continue with that same thought. Chapter 12. Verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, but God knoweth such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for man to utter. Of such a one I will glory, yet not yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me beyond that which he sees me to be, or that which he hears me to be. Lest I should be exalted above measure through, through the abundance of the re- revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. All right, so Paul's going to continue here. He says, It is not expedient or good for me to glory. And he says, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So he says, it's not good that I glory. And this is important for us as Christians. God is not asking us to glory and boast in what God is doing in our life. And this is what Paul's saying. And here he says, I get visions. I am seeing things from God. I'm dreaming dreams. I'm seeing things. And I have revelation from God. He goes, I'm learning important truths from God. And this is something that we as Christians need to be aware of. We get truths, we get visions, we get understanding from God. And he's given us not so that we can be lifted up and built up. He's giving it so others can be ministered to. And this is what Paul's whole point of this chapter is going to be. He goes, you may be thinking I'm getting special. You may think I'm something special because of what God's given me. But he goes, I'm nothing. It's all God. And it is God's grace that keeps us. Now, we get people who get too humble. They immediately, as soon as somebody says, you did a good job, they go, oh, it's all God. It's all God. You know, well, forget all that. It, we know it's God. Otherwise, we wouldn't be telling you it was a good thing. And it, you know, just don't let it go to your head. And he says, and then he starts this story. And this is kind of an interesting story. This is, as far as most people think, this happened to Paul in... Uh, when he was in Lystra and he was stoned to death by the people and he was left for dead and two days later the people came out into the where he was laying under the pile of rocks and found him alive Uh, so we believe that he was dead and believe that he was resurrected and we think this is when this vision was shown to him and this is in Acts 14 verses 19 and 20 that that we believe this happens all it says is that he was stoned and was left for dead Uh, And it says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knows, for such a one caught up into the third heaven. All right? So he says, I don't know whether he actually went there or, you know, in his body or his spirit. I don't know. I don't really care. He entered into the third heaven. Third heaven is is a term for heaven, the heaven. The first heaven is our atmosphere. That we, that we actually breathe and, and birds fly in. Second heaven is outer space. And third heaven is whatever's beyond outer space, and they consider that paradise. All right, so when he says, when we read the term third heaven, that's what they're referring to. The, the actual entering into heaven. He says, I know somebody about 14 years ago, he went to heaven. 
because uh, I don't know whether he went there in his body. I don't know whether he went there in spirit, but he is entered into heaven. And this is why most people do believe this was the event at Lystra where Paul was stoned and left for dead. And uh, he goes, I knew such a man, whether in the body or out, I cannot tell. God knows. He goes, I knew this man. He's, as far as we know, he's talking about himself. <laughs> uh, but again, remember, we've just gone through a whole bunch of chapters. He's been accused of being boastful. And so he says, okay, fine. You're accusing me of being boastful. Let me show you my credentials. Now he's continuing because he's telling them of something really great. He goes, you're going you know, to find that this is boastful, so I'm going to try to pretend it's not me. It's like somebody talking about themselves in the third, per uh, third person. Okay? It, it really isn't me. It's, it's, it's this somebody. <laughs> and this is what Paul is doing here. He's kind of talking about this in the third person. And then in verse 4, how he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words that it is unlawful for a man to utter. And this word for caught up is harpazo. It's the same word as being to, for the rapture that we use. And he says, I was taken up. I was taken into heaven. And again, he's saying, I don't know whether I got there in the body or if God just took me in the, in the spirit. He goes, I don't know. Basically saying, I don't care. <laughs> I was there. And we know that there's been a few different people that have gone straight to heaven. One of them was Enoch. Enoch, it says, walked with God and was not. He in this world. And the other one that we know of is Elijah. Uh, all of a sudden, God came down, chariot of fire, took him up. <laughs> And he was, he never died. And as far as we know, those are the only two people in human history that have never died. Uh, Jesus died, was resurrected, and then went to heaven. So he had his death as well. And he goes, I was caught up. I was snatched up, taken up into paradise, heaven. And he says, I heard unspeakable words. And this word for unspeakable is not that he could not speak the words, but he could not speak them because they were so far above him. If you've ever been in a place where you've seen a, something of just such serene beauty that you can't, that words just don't do justice to it. That's what he's talking here. Not that he couldn't speak words. He goes, I, got, I have words, but things are just so beyond any word that I have, I can't really explain it to you. And this happens to us many times in things that we do with for God. They just are so far behind. We can tell you what happened, but it, they don't. What happened doesn't necessarily carry the weight of what really happened or what we what we experienced, what we felt. He goes, "I found things that were unspeakable, so far beyond that I can't even." And then it says, "Is not lawful," and it literally means permitted for men to utter. And that whole idea was, it's just so far behind beyond me. I don't. I don't. I can't even come up with the right words. And you know, he's just describing something that is just, in, you know, it's not possible for me to utter is a better, is a better definition of this. He goes, I've just, come, I've just come across something that was so unbelievable. And you know, I can't even imagine, you know, this is one of the things when I hear all these stories about people who went to heaven and they tell you all about what they saw. I come back to Paul and say, he said he couldn't describe it. It was just beyond. We go back to Moses who says, and God told him, you can't see me. And every time we see this, people see God, and immediately the first thing they do is fall on their face, and they really can't describe what they see. So when I hear these people describe what they saw, I don't think they've seen what they think they saw. Uh, they saw something. I'm not going to say they're liars. I'm just saying they didn't see what they thought they saw. And he, because Paul's saying, I couldn't even begin. It is so far beyond me. I can't really tell you what it was going on because it's unutterable. I'm not, I don't even have the words. It's not possible. And uh, verse 5, it says, Of such a one will I glory, yet not of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. He says, I'm not going to, you know, of this guy that saw him, I'll glory. I'll be happy for him, but not for me. Again, he's trying to, you know, again, we go back to, for two chapters, he's been talking about how you guys think I'm boastful. You know, you think I'm basically full of myself because of who I am and what I've been doing. So I'm going to try not to. And he's trying very hard to make it look like it's not him. And he says, but I'm only going to glory in my infirmities, my weaknesses. Because this is what God has asked us to do, glory in our weaknesses. He doesn't want us looking at our strength because he knows our strength is nothing. And we've talked about this several times. 
you know, compared to God, there's nothing strong, there's nothing, no knowledge, no anything. And so if we look at our strength and we go, God, look how, look how good I am. You are just so lucky to have me. Which is what Paul was kind of showing them in the first verse. You know, if he wanted to boast, he had all these reasons. He was a, a Benjamite. He was, you know, a Pharisee. He had been obtained. He goes, he goes, I can give you this long list of why I should be able to boast. He goes, but I don't, but I'm not somebody that's going to boast. Because I want to boast in my weaknesses. Because God uses our weaknesses. And even our strength in comparison to God is a weakness. So if we can keep in mind that even our strengths are weak compared to God, he can use even our strength. Uh, he will be careful using our strengths. Most people are not used in their strength because they will start boasting and thinking, look what I have done. I am just so special. I did this. So God very, very rarely uses people in their strength because he does not want them to boast. He doesn't want them to get big-headed. And Paul's saying, I'm just going to boast in my weakness. And in verse 6 he says, For I would desire to glory... For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think me, ab think me above that which he sees me to be, or that he hears of me. So Paul says, you know, I desire. My inclination is to glory. And this is to basically saying, my flesh wants to glory. My flesh wants to say, look at me. And this is what ends up happening with often. Our flesh gets involved. and says, you know, hey, <laughs> yeah, if it wasn't for me, you know, God could never have done this without me. God could have done it with a rock. You know, uh, in Balaam's case, he did it with a donkey. The donkey talked to him and said, you know, uh, and God got his message across to him. You know, Jesus said that, you know, when the Pharisees and scribes told him, you know, quit, have your apostle, you know, have your disciples quit saying these things. He goes, if they don't say it, the rocks will cry out. And so God can use anything he wants to glorify somebody in something, and it doesn't have to be us. And if he wants to use us, he'll use us. And we just need to be humble. Be aware that, you know, not false humility. You know, false humility says, well, it was nothing. I didn't do anything. Well, no, we did something. If we just even let God work through us, we've done something. And if we have some skill in it, then we say, God, thank you for allowing me to use what you've given to help you. You know, and, and something that does bother me, well, it was nothing, it was nothing, it's all God. Well, you're right, it was God, otherwise it wouldn't be done, but you let yourself be used. You let God use skills. And here's what Paul's saying, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth, you know, I desire glory. In other words, he's saying, you know, hey, if you really look at it from the flesh, I deserve some glory. My flesh wants to be glory, but I'm not a fool. I know that it's all God. And he says, I tell you the truth. And truth is something that's interesting because everybody's looking for truth. And in our day and age, we don't even understand what truth is half the time. But truth literally is anything that is, is true about something. And there's truth. Even though the world wants to tell us there's no absolute truth, there's no truth, we know that there's truth. And our world is really pushing on this whole idea that there's no truth. And we see it all the time. They want to tell us there's no right or wrong. They want to tell us that there's no reason for marriage. They want to tell us there's no, you know, you're not even, there's no such thing as gender by their, by their standards. You know, you want to call yourself a boy when you're, a girl, when you're anatomically a, a, a boy, when you're anatomically a girl, there's no problem. If you want to call yourself a girl when you're anatomically a boy, no problem. You know, and we are so confused not understanding truth. And God says, no, there's truth. You are something. You, you, this is something. There are morals. There are right and wrong. And God says, there is truth. And Paul says, I'm telling you the truth when I tell you all these things. Because <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I would like to glory. He goes, but I'm going to forbear. And forbearance means not, not to do something. I'm not, he goes, I'm not going to glory. He goes, I tell you the truth, I, I have the right to glory because he'd already gone through that whole previous chapter showing all the reasons why he could glory. He had been up and coming. He was becoming a strong leader when he was persecuting the church. He was rising up the ranks at a young age with the uh, Jewish people. And all of a sudden, God got hold of him. And God says, I'm going to keep you. I'm gonna, he goes, 
or bear, lest any man should think of me above that which he sees me or that he hears. Because I don't want anybody to think I'm special. And this is something that's very important for us. That we see God, see ourselves the way God sees us. And that's special in and of itself. When God looks at us, he doesn't look at who we are. He looks at who he's going to make us into being. And I love this. God does not see us as we are at this moment in time. He sees us as we will be when we're in heaven. With all the perfection, all the gifts, all the places that he is, he says, I see this person. And we need to keep this in mind. You know, we, we sing several songs on Sunday morning that are all about, you know, God keep telling me who I am in you. Uh, and all of them have the same general format. You know, God, I think I'm worthless. God says I'm special. God, I don't, I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm weak. God says you're strong. You know, God sees us different. And this is very important. that We start seeing ourselves the way God sees us. Not that we get proud in it because it's still him that does it. It's his grace that is going to allow anything to happen. And it says, you know, I don't want people to think above me what they see me do or hear. And he's basically saying, if you watch me walk with God, then you can glory in that. If you hear me preach God's message, you can glory in that. But it's God doing it, not me. <clears throat> and then he says, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And he's going, you know, I thought I, you know, and just in case, so I don't think I'm special, God sent a thorn in the flesh, and there has been a lot of speculation on what the thorn in the flesh is. And the answer is, nobody knows. Some people think it was that uh, he had a blindness that had developed, you know, when he was struck down in Damascus. And in one place he said, you know, look at the large letters I'm writing in. So people believe that he had, even though he got some of his sight back, he never got all of his sight. Some people believe that it might have been some sickness that followed him from being stoned at Lystra. We don't know what it was, but it was something that told Paul, okay, Paul, whenever you think you're special, this thing kicked up again probably into a greater degree and it reminded him, you're nobody. You know, you're, you're, not, you know you're, you're really a nobody. And even though you're getting all these visions, all these revelations, you're writing a third of the, a third of the New Testament or half of the New Testament, you're really nothing that great. And he was being reminded by this. And it says this was a messenger of Satan, which is one of the reasons that the people don't necessarily believe it was the blindness. Because this is a messenger that Satan, and every time he got proud, seemed to kick in. You know, it might have been something, you know, something along the lines of gout or something, some kind of disease that hit him. And when he would start getting bold and, and puffed up, God would say, okay, let me, let me put a little pain in your life. Let me show you what it was. And he had plenty of places where he could be pained. He had the blindness that struck him at Damascus. He had Lystra where he was stoned. He had been beaten at least three times that he tells us about. And that beating would have cut into his body and caused pain. And anybody who's ever suffered traumatic uh, damage to their body knows that arthritis and everything else hits those joints uh, frequently. With every weather change or just out of the blue, those, those joints will ache. So any number of things could have happened that says, okay, Paul, you're getting, you're getting a little proud here. Let me just, let me remind you that you're nobody. And he understood this. But then he says that it kept him from being exalted above measure. And then it says, I asked God three times to let this be gone. Whatever it was was so bad that Paul would beg God, God, take this away. Take this away. And he says he did it three times. I have a feeling it was probably more than three times, but he says three times that he specifically asked for it. And I love God's answer. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul goes, most gladly, therefore, will I gather glory, rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Jesus, God, Jesus and God said, my grace is sufficient. You know, grace is an amazing term that we don't really understand completely. You know, by God's grace, he gives us what we don't deserve. 
And it says, my grace, I'm giving you everything that you don't deserve, so just rest. Just be happy with what I am giving you. And we need to learn to be able to rest in God's grace. Because God gives us things. We, never, we will never earn our salvation. We will never earn the gifts he gives us. We will never earn walking with him. And yet he says, my grace. My grace. Yeah. And God asks us to give grace to one another. And this is something, you know, I've heard people go, well, they don't deserve grace. And I go, of course they don't deserve grace. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. All right? We are called to give grace to one another. When we feel like throttling somebody and, and making them, you know, hurting them, then sometimes grace is what comes out and says, God, I'm just going to let it, you have it. I'm going to let you take care of it. I'm going to just sit back and let you take care of what's going on. He says, my grace is sufficient. And this word for sufficient means to possess an unfailing strength. He goes, my grace is an unfailing strength for you, Paul. Paul, when you're, when you're weak, you turn to me. When you're suffering, you've turned to me. My grace is going to be sufficient. And this is the hardest lesson any Christian will ever learn, to let God's grace be sufficient. Because we always want to try to do things our way. We always want to sit down and help God. God, uh, I know you're really busy up there. Let me try to, let me try to give you a hand. And because we end up having this very small picture of God when it comes down to it. You know, somehow we oftentimes think that God is just too busy. Why would he notice little old me walking around on this earth when he's busy taking care of the whole universe? And God's omnipresence says he's right here with me, no matter what. He knows exactly what I'm doing, what I'm going through, what's happening. And he says, Paul, I know exactly what you're doing through. I will give you the strength. And the good news is when we sit back and we say, God, I trust you. It makes life so much easier. Doesn't mean necessarily we're not going to do anything. But we sit back and we take that rest and we relax. And let God be our strength. Let God be the one that we care, that cares for us. And then not only is grace sufficient, he says, for my strength, my power is made perfect in weakness. When we are weak, God says, my strength is made perfect in that weakness. And this is something, and perfect means complete. He goes, you are so weak, you're, you're not able to do it. My strength now comes in, and my strength comes out, and it is made complete. And this is something, so often I've watched people do great things for God, then you look at them and you're going, I never knew they could do something like that. And they couldn't, but with God, they can and this is the important thing. God's grace is sufficient, and in his strength my weakness, uh, is made perfect in, in my weakness. He comes out. I don't get in the way. If I'm dealing in my weakness, I don't get in his way. And this is why I say, if I look at my strength correctly, he can use my strength. He doesn't often use strength because people don't reckon it as weak. But he says, I've made perfect. And then Paul says, most gladly, therefore, you know, I, will, I will rejoice in this. I will rather glory in my infirmities. Paul's saying, you know, all these things that you, I was saying was so good and so great, he goes, they're nothing. They're nothing. I want to glory in my weaknesses. And, you know, Paul was the type of person, I don't know how many weaknesses he had. He, you know, he very, very much walked with God. He was very determined not too many people could be beaten three times, be stoned, be shipwrecked, be, and not give up. And Paul was being run out of every town he went into just about, and he still didn't give up. He was definitely a type A driven personality that was never going to give up, and yet he says, I want to glory in my weakness, not my strength. And I think he reckoned even his strengths as a weakness before God. Because he's going, God, I can't do anything without you. And he goes... I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And this word for rest was a very powerful one. It means to take possession and dwell in. He goes, that the power of Christ may take possession and dwell in me. That should be our greatest desire. 
God, take possession of me and dwell. And work in my life and show me and take over. And this is important. We need to give up. I've said this over and over. God crucifies our flesh. He comes in and dwells in us, and then he comes out. And then we get the glory for it. You know, we get the, we're going to get the rewards for it. People look at us and say, wow, you're doing a really good job. And it's all God coming out. And this idea of learning just to rest in Christ. And just sit back. Be in perfect rest with him. A faith rest that says, God, you're in control. You are, you are the one that I am going to relinquish everything to. And this is what Paul's saying. God, Christ wants to dwell in us. He wants to take possession of us. Now, if we don't give him possession, he's not going to take it. Okay? And inviting Christ into our life as our Savior does not necessarily mean he's going to take full control of our life. We also have to give him that control. He's going he's to seek it. He's going to try to make it happen. But if we don't give it up, we will always wander around in weakness and loss. And God is saying, I want you to be great. I want to lift you up. I want to exalt you. But you're going to go through these trials. And you're going to have troubles. Verse 10, therefore I take pleasure in infirmity, in reproaches, in necessity, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For I am weak. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So Paul's saying, I take pleasure. You know, I'm, going to, I'm going to enjoy my infirmities. You know, I had the same problem, but I've counseled lots of people. Most people don't like their weaknesses. Somehow they don't think God's going to use their weaknesses. And they will go, I want to get out of it. I want to get rid of this. I want to get out of this. And Paul's saying, I'm going to glory. I want to take pleasure in my, my infirmities his weaknesses. He says, I'm going to take pleasure in, you know, this is kind of an interesting list. Uh, I lost it there. In reproaches. And that is the whole idea of slanders. People getting and attacking you. Paul took pleasure in these things. Why? Because he compared it to the riches of God. You know, he, he looked at it in the heaven. He goes, I'm weak. These people are reproaching me. They're, they're attacking me. They're, they're slandering me. They're, they're, uh, they're uh, insulting me. In necessities, in things that are necessary, in persecutions, <laughs> in distresses for Christ's sake. You know, distresses, extreme affliction even is what it literally means. So he says, hey, when people are making fun of me, they're, they're criticizing me. When I've got some necessities, I've got to eat, I've got to, I've got to sleep. He goes, when they're slandering me, when I'm in persecution, you know, in, when I'm in distress, as long as it's for Christ's sake, he goes, uh, I'm going to take pleasure in it. Why? Because when I am weak, then is Christ strong. And this is important for us to understand. We are nothing. Without Christ, we're nothing. Anytime somebody is boasting and building themselves up, they don't understand. They're nothing. And we need to keep this in mind. God uses the weak. Yeah. We look at who he picked out of, the, out of Jerusalem to be his disciples. You know, just people off the street, basically. Fishermen, tax collectors, just everyday people. And the Jews, when they came up, they go, they looked at them and said that they were, they used the word ignorant, but maybe basically what they're saying, these guys are uneducated. Because you know, they weren't ignorant. They, they were businessmen. They knew, they knew the, the basics of mathematics and reading and writing and contracts. They weren't dumb people. But because they hadn't gone to college, they didn't have the PhD at the end of their names and long list of letters, the ones that had those were saying, hey, these guys are ignorant. How can, how can they know these things? How can they be you know, speaking so, so plainly and so clearly? They're, they're not, they have not gone to school. They haven't been trained. And so Paul is saying, you know, hey, when we are weak, when I am weak, then I am strong. And we need people to really understand that when God is using me, he's going to use me in my weakness. If I'm being proud and arrogant and thinking that I can do it, God's going to step back and say, okay, you go ahead and do it. And when, you fall, when you fall on your face, 
I will pick you up and we'll, get, we'll do this the right way. And been there, done that many times in my life, and I've seen other people do it many times. They, they think they're special, and God says, okay, fine. And they might even get away with it for a short period of time. But eventually, they're going to fall flat on their face because God's going to say, you know, you're, not, you're, not, you're nothing. Your flesh is going to get in the way. And Paul is saying, you know, when I'm weak, then God is going to really use me. <clears throat> Verse 11. I am become a fool in glorying. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of the apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So again, Paul's going, you know, hey, you, you, you've made me glory. You weren't recognizing who I was, you know, because I am special. And Paul, Paul understood that he was special. He, you know, when he's saying he's nothing, he's not discounting the fact that he's an educated, educated in the word. He's just saying, that's not what I'm glorying in. It's God using this information. And this is true of good teachers. A good teacher is not somebody who's never gone to school, necessarily. It's not somebody who doesn't know anything. Well, you know, God says, open your mouth and he'll fill it. Well, one of the things I learned over the years is God ha- needs to have something to fill your mouth with to begin with. You may not remember that you learned these things. You may not even remember this stuff. But God says, I, you need something. When he used the disciples, why did he use them? Because they had spent four years walking with him. And they learned. They may not have remembered everything he had said over those four years, but all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, let's bring this back. Let's bring this back. Can the Holy Spirit work without nothing? Oh, yeah, he's done it. I've seen him do it. I've seen him use people that had no knowledge whatsoever because they were willing to let God use them. But it's not necessarily what would be recommended. Go out and get some training. Go out and learn how to speak. Go out and learn how to study the Bible. Go out and learn how to do apologetics. But always remember, none of it is program. A lot of things get done in churches by program. Uh, we, we show you how to do it and say, you've got to do it this way. Well, I don't really buy into that. Maybe you've got a good program. I'll study your program, but that doesn't mean I'm going to follow it to the letter. I'm going to let God lead through me. Uh, and when I studied different evangelistic programs, there was one in particular that said, you've got to do it this way. And I'm going, well, I can't do it that way. <laughs> it's not a bad program, but it was too structured. And I go, if God wants me to do something and say something, I'm going to say it. I'm not following this program to the letter. And I didn't do well with that class. They basically got, got me out of the class <laughs> because I wasn't going to cooperate with it. Uh, but he says, you know, you've, you've compelled me to this because you should have commended me. You should have recommended me. And it says, in nothing am I behind the chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. He goes, I'm not, I'm not worth anything, but I'm not behind these other apostles. He goes, I am an apostle. And he understood that he was an apostle. He didn't deny, you know, oh, I'm not an apostle. I'm nobody special and all this, you know, so don't don't look at me. He goes, I'm an apostle, and I'm not any less of an apostle than the 11 that walked walked with Jesus. He goes, don't ever get that into your mind. And this is why I say we've got to be careful not to think because we're nothing and we think of ourselves as nothing that we don't uh, look too far on this. He goes, for truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. This is kind of poorly translated, but he says, I taught and I showed you miraculous signs and you saw them. And this is something that happened with all the apostles. You know, they did, they spoke, and God accompanied their speaking and their boldness with signs. And signs, theoretically, we can still do today because the Holy Spirit lives in us. We can heal people. We can have all these things that happened to them happen in our life because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us and will come out and use his gifts that he gives us. Because we have the same Holy Spirit they did. And only thing holding us back is that usually we don't believe that we have that kind of power. And it doesn't mean every single person is going to get healed. Every single person is going to have a miracle happen in their life. But God can do these miracles. Because even when Jesus walked this world, 
Not every single person got healed. Not every single person came to him. If it had, there wouldn't have been a blind man, a lame man laying at the gate beautiful when, when Peter and John went to gate beautiful just weeks after Jesus had been alive because Jesus had gone to the temple several times and that man had laid there all his life. So if Jesus had healed every single person, that man would not have been laying there for Peter and John. So even Jesus didn't heal every single person because it wasn't for God's glory. And God had timing and purpose in his glory. And he goes, hey, I am not behind any of these apostles. He says, the signs are there, the gifts are there, the power is there. He goes, I'm not any less, and yet you guys don't recognize me. Paul had a hard time, because this was his church. We've talked about this several times. He established Corinth, and yet they kept following after all these other people because he did not meet whatever it was they were looking for. He wasn't as eloquent as Apollos. He wasn't as forceful as Peter in many ways. He was Paul. And we've got to keep in mind, God uses each one of us in his way. And we need to keep that in mind because I'm not, I can't be somebody else. I can't be any other pastor that I saw yesterday. I can't be any pastor, other pastor that I was under. God uses us for who we are. Doesn't mean he's going to leave us where we're at. He's going to grow us but he uses us where we're at and moves us forward. And interesting, for what is it within you that were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome on you? Forgive me this wrong. He goes, are you guys any less than any other church? He goes, I started you. Are you less than any other church? You think I'm not worth being the pastor? He goes, the only thing I didn't do for you is I didn't take a salary from you. And then he says, forgive me of this wrong. He really saying, you know, and he's, that started from even two chapters ago. You know, the only thing that I really didn't do to you and I kind of wish I did is that I didn't ask you to pay my way. And remember, he said, Macedonians gave me gifts that I used to supply Corinth. And he goes, I didn't make you guys pay. And we get from this that Paul is almost teaching us that a pastor deserves to be paid in his church, whatever, whatever. He goes, you don't muzzle the ox when it treads the, the wheat. You, the workman is worthy of his hire. And I think he saw that he made a mistake with Corinth by not making them contribute to his, his uh, income. And he's basically, because he's apologized like three or four times about not doing that for them. And so he's going... You know, forgive me for this. That was wrong. And why? Because when you're giving to somebody, you're paying their, paying their bill, there's a uh, union that happens out of that. You are part of their life, they're part of your life, and there's a union in that shared income. And he says, you know, we never did that. We never brought you to that level of support for me. And he goes, I made a mistake on that. Verse 24, 14 goes, Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not you, yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for their parents, but the parents for the children. And it's kind of interesting. He goes, even when I come back, I'm getting ready to come back a third time. Paul visited Corinth frequently. He goes, I'm getting ready to come back for a third time, and I'm still not going to be a burden to you. I'm still not going to be a problem to you. And you're going to, and I want you to just learn from me. And his example was that children don't pay, pay their parents. Parents pay, you know, uh, raise their children. They, you know, and he goes, if you're trying to do it the other way around, you're wrong. And then he says, and I love this one, he goes in verse 15, I will gladly, be, be, uh, I will gladly spend and be spent for, for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Paul says, I am willing to give you all that I have, and I'm going to keep going to the point that I exhaust everything I have. And he goes, even though the more I love you, the less you love me. And this is an interesting thing for Paul. Paul loved the church in Corinth. And he says, I'm going to give you everything I have. I will spend everything for you, and yet you're going to love me less and less. And he didn't give up. He wanted to minister to this church. 
And this is true of anybody who truly loves somebody. They're willing to just give that person everything. And that's where Paul's at. He's going, I just love you so much. The more I love you, the less you love me. But I am just going to keep pouring into your life and bringing, bringing you to Christ. And it's a beautiful picture of what pastors do. Because sometimes pastors are not very well respected because they tell the truth and, and people get upset with them. But he says, I'm just going to give it more to you. And it's in verse 16. But be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Did I make gain of you by any of them which I sent unto you? I desired Titus, and, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walk you not in the same spirit? Walk you not in the same steps? Again, think you that we exalt ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. So Paul's going, it was, you know, I'm pouring out and all of this, and so be it. He goes, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you up with guile. And he's kind of being tongue-in-cheek here. Okay, I've loved you, I've poured out to you, and did I try to deceit you? deceive you is what he's saying. And he's kind of being sarcastic here. Paul is really good with sarcasm, and sarcasm is saying something in, you know, that you don't really mean. <laughs> and he's going, you know, hey, you know, I was so crafty, I caught you up in guile, right? And they're going, no, that's not, you know, the answer is supposed to be no, you didn't do that. And he goes, did I make any gain of you by any of them which I sent to you? When I sent these people, did I take the money that, you'd, that you gave? And remember, we've been talking about this, Paul's create, collecting an offering among the churches in Macedonia and Asia Minor to take back to Jerusalem. And he's saying, hey, when I send these people, am I skimming off the top of this, of this offering? He goes, no. I am not taking the money from this offering. I am not trying to get rich by telling you I'm giving it to somebody else. And this happens in our day and age a lot. These companies collect money for some, some needy group, and then they take off the top 20% for themselves. Paul's saying, I'm not doing that. I am not skimming this. And he goes, if you want to make sure, go have them check. They'll, they'll give you an accounting. You, accounting. you gave this much money, here it is. It's all in the boxes of the offering that are going to them. He goes, I'm not getting money from this collection. Very much like when we take up the Annie Armstrong or the Lottie Moon offerings here. The, the, all that money that goes, goes to the missionaries. It doesn't go, you know, nobody's skimming off money to, to pay salaries for the workers. And this is what Paul's saying. No, hey, I'm not trying to get rich from you guys. I am not telling you that money's going one place and taking some of it. And he goes, by the way, Titus didn't do it either. The other brother didn't do it either. He goes, did Titus make a gain of you? He says, is, is Titus, did Titus skim it? He goes, no. You know, then he says, walked you not in the same spirit? Walk you not in the same steps? He goes, aren't you going to be just as honest? He goes, we're not trying to skim from you. Why are you trying to take away from us? And Paul is being very loving with them. He's being very <laughs> upfront with them and saying this is the way it's supposed to be. But he's saying, you know, look to me. I'm being honest with you. If I'm really the founder of the church, your, your church, I'm your pastor, I'm the starter of this church, I'm the apostle, why aren't you treating me in that way? And he's basically trying to shame them. <laughs> trying to shame them. Verse 19, again, think that we, that we escaped ourselves unto you, excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edification. He goes, do you think that we're making excuses? We're making an apology. We're, we're explaining. We're giving a reason for you. We speak before God in Christ. And I, and I love this. He says, we're just speaking what God gives us. When God tells us to speak, we're speaking, and we're doing it for your edification, to build you up. There are times when people have to have hard things said to them. Okay. Grace does not just allow people to keep falling down, a, you know, keep going and fall over a cliff. Grace sometimes says, I'm going to grab you by, by your neck and pull you back because you're getting ready to go over that cliff. And you may not think it's grace, but I'm trying to protect your life in a very strong way, and that's grace. And he says, and I want to build you up to edify you. 
as Christians, we are called to edify one another, to build one another up, to help them feel better in Christ about themselves. And sometimes that comes in very harsh. We say, this is a sin, don't do it. Okay, and that can be just as much grace as anything else. Because I'm, my love and my desire to give grace is not gonna let them go off the cliff of sin and end up with the consequence of sin. I'd like to pull them back so that they don't sin. And this is what Paul is saying. We're building you up. We're edifying. Verse 24, I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I would and that I shall be found unto you as you would not. Lest there be debates, envies, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. And lest when I come again my God will humble me among you and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lasciviousness they have committed. So Paul's saying, I'm writing you these hard, these hard letters, these hard words, because I want you to be repented. I want you to grow. And he gives this list, you know, that I should not find you as I would, but shall find you in debates. Debates are just these contentions and strifes. Uh, and he's going, all you're going to do is be arguing back and forth. He does, I don't want arguing. And there's lots of churches where there's lots of arguing that goes on. And arguing about usually silly things, nothing important. Uh, this little doctrine, this little doctrine. And, and I've shared with you, for me, there's only a couple things that are worth taking a hard stance on for God. Number one is that Jesus is the Son of God. He died for our sins, rose again, and he's the only way to heaven. I'm going to take a hard stand on that. I'm not going to let anybody say anything else but that he's the only way to heaven. The other one is that the Bible is absolutely true. That's an absolute. If it's not true, then we have nothing to believe in. And if it's not true, if there's anything in the Bible that's not true, we're in trouble because we won't be able to grow. And he says envyings. <laughs> Envying is the punitive zeal for something. Envying is my desire when somebody has something good of what should have happened to me. And I cannot be happy with for that person because of my envy. I am just so angry that they got blessed when I didn't. And again, these are things that happen in churches when people get blessed because they follow God and do what he wants. And people go, well, I could have done that. I could have been the one leading that ministry. I could have been. That's envying. And then he goes on to the next one, wraths. The anger. The boiling up anger that just gets angry when they even see somebody, they think about that person. And then strifes. The whole idea of strife, and this word is literally electioneering. You know, this is trying to position myself that somebody's going to put me up. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't put myself up, you know, I just got those people to put me up. And that's what electioneering is all about. You know, uh, most politicians don't want to be the one that kind of puts themselves forward. They want to make it look like others are pushing them up so they get people behind the scenes to push them up so it looks like there's a group of people pushing them rather than just themselves. And he goes, there are a lot of people in this church, in the churches that are trying to put themselves forward, put themselves forward through others. Backbiting, we know what backbiting is. That's saying things behind, behind people's back. You know, derogatory in, in, in nature. And those whisperings, and that's the slandering done in secret behind, behind the scenes where you just try to very quietly destroy somebody. And there's lots of churches that have that leaders being destroyed because people are whispering behind their back instead of dealing with things the way they, the way they want to be taken care of. Swellings, this is the puffing up, you know, just pride. And a lot of people get that way. And tumults, just all kinds of disorder. Paul is describing the way churches get if they're not following God. All these different things happen. And once you get these things happening, the church starts splintering and dividing up because everybody starts taking sides because there's so much bad going on. And Paul's saying, I don't want to find you like this. I want to find you a strong, thriving church in Christ, a body that is being built up. And verse 21, unless when I come... My God will humble me among you that I shall be well many that have sinned already. And Paul's saying, I'm giving you these letters. I've been teaching you. And when I come, 
I don't want to see God saying, you wasted your time. Now, I don't think God would say that to him, but he's going, I don't want to feel that way anyway. And there are times when people look and they teach and they teach and they teach, and then they watch people do exactly what they taught them not to do. And that's hard. It really is hard when you watch people and you're going, why are you doing that? We've been teaching the whole year on not doing that. And Paul's going, I don't want to have this, this be seen. I don't want to see you making bad decisions, going the wrong direction. And then he goes, and many that have sinned already and have not repented. Now, repentance is the most important part of our forgiveness. We repent, and then repent literally means to turn and change our mind and turn to God. Okay, God, I thought this was okay. You've shown me it's not. I'm going to change my mind, and I'm turning back to you. God, I've been committing this sin. I'm going to turn around and face you and not commit this sin anymore. Sins that he lists in this one, in this one are uncleanness, which is the idea of impurity and love, uh, of lustful living and impure thoughts. Okay, that kind of impurities and uncleanness. And fornications, which is any form of sexual sin, is, uh, is this particular word that was used in Greek. And lasciviousness, unbridled lust, lust and shamefulness. Paul is describing some pretty interesting problems with Corinth. And Corinth had, the city of Corinth had a reputation for impurity and unbridled lust. And it had formed itself in the church. These guys were coming out of that, that lifestyle, and Paul's trying to go, now it's time for you to live the way Christ wants you to live. And it was hard for them. Just as it's hard for us as sinners to change our minds, especially if we're not filling it with God's word. You know, if we fill our minds with all the garbage we can fill our minds with, we will have a hard time ever getting past these type of thoughts, these kind of problems. And this is why it's important, and I bring this up to us all the time. What are we filling our minds with? What books are we reading? What movies are we reading? Who are we listening to for advice? Who are we listening to for, for instruction and righteousness? Because if we're listening to the wrong things, we will come out with the wrong direction. And Paul's saying, you know, you've been listening to all these different people. They're going to, they're going to infect you. Come and listen to me and get get correction. And these are very critical for us because we see it. You know, there, there were times when I was younger when I would say or do something and I would wonder where it came from and I got, well, that comment came from a movie or that one comment came from a show I was watching. And I've learned to be careful of what I watch and work on putting things that are going to build up and edify my soul. Because we can waste a lot of time reading the wrong books, watching the wrong movies, doing the wrong things, talking to the wrong people, hanging out with the wrong people, and not grow in Christ. And this is what Paul's saying, I want you to grow. I want you to grow. I want you to be spiritual people. I want you to repent of all these sins and follow God. All right, we're going to close. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we've had to look at your word. We ask you to help us learn to repent of our sins. Help us learn to walk with you in great, greater and stronger ways. Lord, we just thank you that you are in charge of our life. Develop our life, crucify our flesh, and bring us into where you would want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.